Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Um, I am glad to be here and able to continue the series that Pastor Mike began this morning, and that is our church's Christmas series called, Is It Logical? Look at your neighbor and say, Is It Logical? Pastor Mike did a great job this morning talking about all the different parts of the Christmas story that don't make any real sense. They don't, uh, when it comes to what we think of Christmas and when it comes to what we think of certain things, they don't make any sense when it comes to the part of Christmas, when it comes to the way our brain operates. They don't make no sense. So Christmas time is here, and that means it's time for gifts. How many of you guys already have all the gifts that you need for Christmas? Right? I knew I knew some of you guys would have. I knew some of you would be prepared. I knew some of you would be already would have it all. And to me, I haven't even honestly I haven't thought about it hardly any. That sounds bad, but I haven't thought about it hardly at all. I, I I'll get to work about like December twenty fourth. You know, I, I work better in the clutch, at clutch time. Like that's how I work. So anyway, um, some Christmas gift statistics for you guys. Top Christmas spending statistics for 2022. Parents plan to spend an average of $276 per child when it comes to Christmas gifts. One in 10 people return their gifts to the store. $15.2 billion of es- is the estimated total of unwanted presents. That's, yeah, wow. That's a lot of dollars in presents, period. America is expected to spend $6.1 billion on Christmas trees crazy trees just trees just trees that go in your room or in your living room for about you know a month and a half month and then you take it down and when you put it out you think why am I doing this and when you take it down you think why am I doing this and so the whole time you wonder why you're doing it Americans are going to spend an average of $886 on Christmas gifts that's an average you know somebody's going to buy their kid like a Bugatti for Christmas and so Women spend 20 hours on average shopping for Christmas presents. Like men like me, we spend like a couple hours when we get the chance shopping for Christmas presents. And so all of that is an illogical amount of money spent on Christmas. It's illogical. It makes no sense. There's no point. Why do we spend so much on Christmas? But the reality is, is we're thankful for the gifts. We're thankful for Christmas. And we realize that Jesus is the first gift of Christmas, that He is the gift we needed. He is the first gift that God gave us. Let's pray. God, we thank You for tonight. We thank You for everything that You've done for us, God. We pray that Your Holy Spirit would be with us today as we go into this message. God, help us, Lord, to be open to Your Word. Help us to be receptive and responsive. And God, we thank You so much for everything You've done for us. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. As Pastor Mike said this morning, so much of the Christmas story is illogical. It doesn't make any sense. It does not line up with common reason. But the story of Christmas is the story of Jesus, and very much of what Jesus Himself did was illogical. And the story of Jesus also involves the supernatural. Pastor Mike said that this morning, that the supernatural was a part of the story of Christmas. We see God moving away. He had not ever moved before when Jesus comes to the earth. God had never done anything like what He was doing. And when Christ came, He had never done anything like what Christ had done. We see God moving away He never had. 
The story of Jesus' birth begins in Luke chapter 1, in the first Christmas. An angel named Gabriel appears to a young woman named Mary. And many of you have read this story before, but I'm going to read it to you as the, the foundation of our message today. Luke chapter 1, 26-38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will, called the, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary, later, Mary and Joseph later go on to witness God do crazy things. They see God do things that make no sense. They see her become pregnant without any sort of uh, interaction. We'll call it that. She became pregnant like without any interaction, and they see crazy things happen. But in this message tonight, I want us to look at what the reasons or the qualities that Mary and Joseph have that caused them to be qualified to do what they do, to be the parents of Jesus on earth. It's a high, high honor. What qualities do they have? And I believe these qualities are something that we can develop in our lives and that will show that if we develop them, then we can see God move in our lives. We want to see God move in our own lives. Amen? Amen. So if we develop these qualities, we can see God move. And the Christmas story gives us these points. Everybody say number one. Number one is faith. How do we know that Mary and Joseph had faith? Well, when an angel comes to Mary, instead of her arguing or asking more questions or being, you know, maybe not, no thanks, she just listens, right? She goes along with it. She has faith. She's not questioning. And we know that she has faith. We know that she has faith because Gabriel comes to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Whose favor is he talking about or having? It's not, you know, man's favor. It's God's favor. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 tells us something about faith and favor. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, meaning it is impossible to please God without faith. Gabriel tells Mary she is highly favored. That means that she's had faith in him and that her, God's favor is on her life because of the faith she has in God. There is no favor from God without faith in God. You have to connect the two. And Joseph, although uh, we haven't read his story yet, we know that an angel appears to him, and the angel appears to Joseph after he discovers that Mary is pregnant. And so we've got to be honest here, and we have to realize that if you or I or any one of us, um, we were about to be married, 
and we come to discover that our fiance is pregnant and we know that we've both been being good, honest, God-following people that haven't been doing anything we shouldn't do that married people do, right? And Joseph knows this because he knows, like, if anything, you know what you haven't done, right? He knows, I haven't done anything. And he knows he is not the father in the story before this interaction with the angel. And so we know he is very clearly, surely, that he's not the father. But we know he has faith because when the angel appears and tells him, don't call off the marriage. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He stays. That's, that's incredible faith, right? That is incredible faith that he demonstrates. We know this is a man of faith, and he has faith in God. For us, everybody say for us. For us, it is the same as Mary and Joseph. We cannot please God without having faith. The baseline thing we have to have is great faith. Mary and Joseph knew that they had to take God at His word, and that this was their purpose and this was God's plan. They had to take Him at what He said by faith. This was the purpose and this was the plan. And that they were going to be able to do the high honor that God had given them. Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph and being like, you're going to be the parents of my son on earth? Be like, what? Like, I don't, I've not had any kids before, God. Like, whenever I had Blaze, my first, you know, the first child that I had born, um, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. I'm kind of scared, right? I don't know how to parent. Well, then we had Judah, and at least I didn't have that fear because I've done it before, right? I know what to expect. I know what babies are like. I've changed diapers. I'm desensitized to wiping all the time, right? It's not a thing anymore. I'm used to it. The, Mary and Joseph didn't have that luxury, but they, by faith, took God at His Word, and they knew that they could do it. Amen? So we realize that faith is the first thing. Number two, everybody say number two. Number two is purity. Mary was a virgin, and she was pure in regard to have not ever been with a man. But purity is much deeper than just physical purity. The Google definition of purity, because what does Webster's matter now that I can just Google it? Um, the Google definition of purity is freedom from adulteration or contamination. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, He says, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. God is concerned with purity. Purity matters to God. Purity is something that we can't take lightly as believers. When I read the definition of purity, and it says freedom from adulteration or contamination, I think, what are some things that could be in my life that could be contaminating my life or contaminating my faith and then therefore might be preventing me from seeing God move. Or to see God, uh, to see what's happening in my life. To see what God needs to happen. To see maybe it's contaminating my faith and keeping me from having the appreciation I need in the Lord. But what could be in my life that's contaminating me? We need to seek to have purity and not be contaminated by the things of this world and the culture around us. Which is difficult, right? Because there are so many things that can decontaminate our pure life that God asks for us to have as believers. Amen? Like, He asks us to step out and be different, and sometimes we want to cling to, I want to be as close to like everyone else without and still count. Right? And maybe not you guys, but teenagers definitely in youth. Sometimes that's a struggle for them. Sometimes not. Sometimes it is. We seek to have purity because purity matters to God. King David 
He was a great man of faith, and he really loved God. And he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And he had plans for it. He had made plans to build the temple. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew how it was going to work. He had begun to store up parts to build the temple. He was really willing to do it. But this is what David said that God told him about building the temple. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 3. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and have shed blood. David had shed blood. He had done too much in the life he had to be pure enough for the task of building the temple of God. I never had seen this before. But he had shed too much blood. It didn't mean he was a bad person, right? didn't mean he wasn't a faithful person. Everybody tracking with me here. But he had disqualified himself from the task of building the temple of God because of the, the blood he had shed. Everybody tracking with me here. It had nothing to do with his salvation, nothing to do with his faith, but he's no longer qualified to do this certain task for the Lord because he was not pure in that aspect. For us, everybody say for us. For us, we have to realize that we need to seek to have purity. And listen to me and listen clearly. We serve a God that can restore. He can give us back purity. He can take us back to a place that, we've, that we haven't been. Maybe that we need to be restored to. We serve a God that restores. But we also have to realize this. If you're young, old, we have to realize that there are some things that God does not overlook when it comes to Him moving in our lives or if something He is going to do because we could have possibly contaminated ourselves and disqualified ourselves from doing that certain task or seeing that happen. Right? It's biblical. So it means that purity must be highly valued. Whatever age, whatever we have done, purity is important. God can restore. We serve a God who restores, as I said a minute ago. But we also serve a God who takes very seriously the character trait of being pure. That We cannot discount purity and discount it as something that we should do just because we serve a God who forgives. Right? We serve a God who forgives. Praise the Lord, He forgives. Everything that we've ever done wrong and everything we ever will do wrong, He forgives us. But we can't discount purity and keeping our hands clean because it matters to God. It matters immensely to Him. Joseph and Mary were both pure. Number three, everybody say number three. Number three is innocence. For this point, I want to look briefly at the story of Joseph being told by the angel what God was going to do with Mary in his life. Matthew chapter 1, 18-19. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce, to divorce her quietly. So we know that the angel goes on to say, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid to do this. This is the will of God. Because the child she is bearing is the child of the Holy Spirit. But the line I want you to catch is verse 19. And it says, Because Joseph was faithful to the law, he did not want to publicly disgrace her. He did not want to publicly disgrace Mary. Listen. Like I said earlier, in the modern day, you, I, maybe some of us, this type of person like Joseph would be really rare in the modern day. Because in the modern day, if we're in the situation Joseph's in, and we figure out that our fiancé's pregnant, we had nothing to do with this, half the people in the modern day would go to Facebook and make a scene. Right? 
they would make sure that they looked great and innocent and they would make a scene, right? And totally put Mary on blast, right? They would, and even if they didn't go to Facebook and put it on the internet, they would at least make sure that everybody who came to ask that person, anybody, nowadays, almost everybody, if somebody was like, hey, what happened? You'd be like, she was a cheater. You'd be like, she's dirty, right? And say things that I can't say preaching, right? Joseph doesn't do that. He's faithful to the law, and so he keeps himself innocent of any wrongdoing at all in this story. He doesn't go put Mary to blast. He doesn't want to disgrace her. He keeps himself innocent from doing anything wrong here. He doesn't make a scene. He doesn't try to drag her name through the mud. He doesn't slander her. We have no record of that. He stays innocent because that's who he is. His character is an innocent person. Mary's character is an innocent person. And he and Joseph is a good man. For us, sometimes we have to choose to stay innocent. And I know that's hard because sometimes people think, man, they did the wrong thing, right? They're wrong. They're the ones who's wrong. I have to make sure that everybody knows they're wrong, right? Very well might be true. From Joseph's point of view at that time, before the angel intervenes, Mary looks very wrong, right? His truth for the moment there is that Mary is out of line, right? But he does not go on and create a scene and make everything look bad. He chooses to stay innocent. Sometimes we have to choose to stay totally innocent. There are things in our lives that we need to keep ourselves free from in order to see God move in our lives, just like Mary and Joseph. We have to stay out of it, stay innocent. Number four, everybody say number four. Number four is obedience. Mary has a great line in the Christmas story right at the end of it that I read today. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. That right there is basically textbook obedience to God's Word. May it be to me as you have said. Super obedient. Textbook obedience. Gabriel, so making sure you get this story and understand what this is to Mary, how she would process this. Gabriel says, Mary, here's what we're going to do. You're highly favored with God. Uh, greetings to you. you. I know you're a virgin. It doesn't make any sense, but you're going to be the son of the Most High. I know it's going to cost you some societal points. Um, you're probably going to have to skip the young women's class because they're going to be asking a lot of questions. Like, you're probably going to have to stay home quite a bit because people are going to be asking a lot of questions. And uh, this is all, you know, I know it does, none of this makes sense, but you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. And Mary looks at the angel and is like, yes, okay, I'll do it. That's crazy. Not like she, now, listen, Mary says yes, and I know so many of us, and I know some of you guys thinking, like, is it impolite to tell God, like, no thanks? Like, was that an option? It doesn't, I mean, probably not, right? But, I mean, she doesn't even like, no thanks. She's like, okay, be it unto me as you have said. Textbook obedience. So hear me, hear me out here. There's no way that God, when He was looking for a candidate for who was going to be the mother of God's son, who was going to be the mother of the Son of God. There's no way that God didn't look out over all the women of the house of David and he didn't look at all the different options that would have been there throughout. God could have chose to do this at any point in time, 
Right? This did not have to happen at the exact time of Mary. He could have chose any time. He could have chose 10 years before Mary. He could have chose now. He could have waited. Right? That he didn't, there's no way that God did not look out over all the women and see that obedience was a key part of her life. God realized that Mary was exceptionally obedient to God's word. And she was. Mary was class A, valedictorian level, obedient to God. She was exceptionally obedient. And because of that, God was able to move mightily in her life. God did something that nobody else, none of us, nobody else, zero other people other than her, were able to see God move in that exact way. And they were they able to have that high honor that it was to be the mother of Christ. Nobody else. She saw that happen in her life. And Joseph, we know he was obedient also because he stayed. He stayed around. I mean, good grief. Like 99.9% of people are going to bolt and never come back, and Joseph stays around. He's obedient, and he got the great honor of being the adoptive father of Christ. What a high honor. How cool is that? In my office, I, I don't know why it hit me like it did, but I'm typing that, and I'm like, man, and like I almost like had to take a pause because of how much of a high honor it would be and how humbling it would be and how terrifying it would be to be the father, the earthly father of Christ. Like, that would be earth-shakingly scary, right? But at the same time, like, he's been honored in that. And it had to be because he's obedient. God is not putting his son in the hands of people who don't care about his precepts and his word. God has given him to obedient people. For us, everybody say for us. If we keep obedience to God a priority in our lives, we can see God move. We can see God move in our lives. We can see God do things. Praise the Lord that none of you are candidates for the virgin birth. That already happened, right? It's great. It's good. Past that. We don't have to worry about it. If I was preaching before Jesus' time, it'd be like kind of nervous. Like, y'all, just watch out, right? I read in Isaiah once, but we don't have to worry about that. But we can still see God move. We want to see God do big things. We've got things we need to see God do. There's still things that God's Word says are going to happen that we need to see God do. And we can be a part of that if we keep these things, if we do those things that Mary and Joseph uh, did. So changing gears just a little bit here, as we begin to kind of close the sermon out, all of what happened to Mary and Joseph that we read tonight was before Jesus was ever born. Uh, he hadn't been born yet. There's no Jesus on earth. None of it. When Jesus was born, and while He was on the earth, He did great things. Uh, miracles, miracles, Supernatural events. He walked on water. He healed people. He taught to thousands. He fed thousands of people. All sorts of great things, and none of that makes sense. It's all incredibly illogical. And it's as illogical as the first Christmas. But we typically look at all the things Jesus did, and we think, well, He's God, so God can do awesome things, right? I don't expect different from you, Jesus, because you're God, right? You should be able to do God things. Everybody track it with me? That's what I think of Jesus. Do God things. You're God. But Jesus tells the disciples something pretty profound and something that's very illogical. In John chapter 14, verse 12, He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in Me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Every time I read that verse where Jesus says you're going to do even greater things, I think, what in the world are you saying? 
Like, if I would have been there when Jesus told the disciples that, there is no way I would not have been a Peter in that scenario, and I would have been like, dude, what are you saying? That makes no sense. You're crazy. How in the world are we ever going to do things that you have done and better? Right? Like, unless we, you know, I, I don't know how we're going to do it. And you would have no concept of it if you're a disciple. So you probably would be just like that. You'd be like, how in the world will we ever do greater things than Jesus? But Jesus was serious. And as I realized studying this message for tonight, uh, it, this is something that kind of just came to me throughout the study. So go with me here. Go with me down this thought train. How many believers were there in Jesus' time? We, we don't know exactly. A thousand, maybe a couple thousand, but we don't know while Jesus was on earth, right? We have no exact number. How many miracles did Jesus do? Again, we don't know the exact number. We've got them in the Bible. You could go find that. But the answer is a lot. He did a lot of miracles. How many people did Jesus feed? Well, there was that one time He fed the 4,000 plus the women and children, and that other time He fed the 5,000 plus the women and children. So we know it's in the multiple thousands, that Jesus, the amount of people Jesus fed. How many people did Jesus heal? Hundreds, maybe thousands. Again, we don't know, right? People were just flocking to Jesus in certain scenarios, and He just healed them all. The Bible says He healed them all. So we know He healed a bunch of people. Thousands, hundreds, we don't know. Here's what I want us to catch. Right after Jesus told them that they would do greater, He told them how they would do greater. John chapter 14, 15-18 If you love Me, keep My commands. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and be, will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus looks at them and says, I am going to give you the Holy Spirit, and I am not leaving you, and My power is not leaving the earth. I am going to give you my power. And so he says, you will get the power. You will get the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give it to you. So let's look at the same questions that we just asked a minute ago with a little bit different ending. How many believers are there on earth now and how many believers have there been since Jesus died on the cross? A lot. We know that there's an estimated 2.2 billion believers on earth now. That means the answer of total lifespan of Christianity's believers is like billions, right? Lots of people who have known Jesus. How many miracles have been performed since the Holy Spirit filled the believers? We don't know, but the answer is a lot. How many miracles have been performed by people filled with the Holy Spirit? Lots and lots. How many hungry people have been fed through Christian groups and Christian goodwill? and events, and services, and missions organizations throughout this lifespan of Christianity. More than we could ever count. More than we could ever understand, count, quantify, ever put down in the books. How many people have been healed through the power of God? And not only through the power of God, but because of the expansion of medicine, and science, and goodwill, and all the things that have since happened because of Christ's influence on the lives of men and women? The answer is a lot. All of us. I, like, it is shocking that like, about half of us would probably be dead if it wasn't for like antibiotics and modern medicine 
and all the things that have been done because of Christianity and God saying we need to help people. So people moved and did things that they did not ever used to do because of the influence of Christ. Fascinating. And because of the power of God. The healing power of God. More than we could ever imagine is the amount of people that's been healed. So you know what? It turns out that Jesus wasn't saying a crazy illogical thing when He said that we would do greater things than He did. He was right. That, that believers in Him, filled with the Holy Spirit, have gone and excelled and done things more than He had ever done. He was right. He wasn't making it up. That's humbling. But we can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What does that have to do with Christmas? Mary and Joseph had faith, they had purity, and they had innocence, and they were obedient. And so because of that, the Holy Spirit stepped into their lives and did a great thing and gave all of us Jesus. For us, if we have obedience, purity, innocence, and faith, then the Holy Spirit can move in our lives and great things can happen on earth. Great things can happen in our lives and great things can happen for those around us. Jesus being born in their life was a great thing and a great gift. But how much more of a gift has He been to everyone else on the planet because of Mary and Joseph's obedience and faith? The Holy Spirit stepped into their lives. And so we realize that God wants to do great things through us. And so the Christmas story, it's the precursor to Easter. Easter and the cross, they have their own stories um, but preparing for this message, I thought about this part of Easter because in my mind, sometimes I have a hard time separating Christmas from Easter. To me, you, I mean, obviously you don't have one without the other, but to me, it's hard to break them apart. So I thought of this story. Jesus is in the garden, and He has a conversation with the Father. He knows what's coming. He knows that He's about to die on the cross. He knows that He's fixing to be killed in a very brutal way. And so He has this conversation with God in the garden, and he says, Father, if there is a way, let this cup pass from me. He's saying, if there is any way that we can get around this, let's go around it. And then I thought this in my office as I was writing this. I thought, God, if, if I'm a good father to my kids, I don't want to see them go through this. So if I found any way in all the options in the entire universe to prevent them, from going through that, what would I do? I would do that way. We know that God could find no other way than Jesus having to go to the cross. That's the way. That is the way for us to have salvation. That there is no way around it. God found no way. He sent Jesus to the cross. And Jesus obediently went to the cross. And so the truth for us tonight is the same as it was for Jesus. There is no other way that we can be saved except for through faith in Christ. There is no other way. So I'm going to tell this story. This is a true story. Um, it happened in my living room not that long ago. Um, I'm watching the movie Frozen with my daughter Blaze. Blaze is three. So I've seen Frozen like more times than the amount of people that like, I just don't know. It's like more than I could ever count. It's a lot, right? I could teach classes on Frozen. I could teach Frozen science, right? I could teach all of it because I've seen it so many times. I'm like a movie expert. So we're sitting watching Frozen, and uh, there's a scene in Frozen at the beginning of the movie um, where Elsa and Anna's parents say goodbye, and they get on a ship, and they board the ship, and uh, the next scene is the ship being overtaken by the rough seas. The ship goes under. 
scenes that follow are them being very sad, them having a funeral, and them being uh, really upset. It shows the sadness in the movie. And during that scene, Blaze always looks and she always says, What, Dad? She always says, Daddy, what happened to the mommy and daddy? And I say, The storm got their boat. And she'll go, Did they die? And I'll say, Yes, they are, they're gone. And one of the times she paused and she said, Are they in heaven? And I said, Because I don't want her to get weird theology. We've got to get our theology straight. I said, If they knew Jesus, then they're in heaven. And she looked down and she looked kind of sad. And she said, Daddy, I don't know everything about Jesus. And I said, I said, neither do I. I don't know everything about Jesus. But that's not what matters. What matters is that we believe in Jesus and that we have faith in Him. That's all that matters. That's how we get to heaven. That's a tough story. Because that's that's the truth. That's all that matters. I don't know everything about Jesus. I don't. I wish I did. I don't. I, I didn't get to walk the earth with him. I didn't get to sit down with him and eat. All I have is the words. But it's not about just knowing about Jesus. It's about believing in him, putting our faith in him, putting our trust in him, being obedient to him, realizing that he has something good for our lives. And so I thought I might cry during that story, but I cried in my office instead. And so, uh, I'm thankful I didn't cry because Carrie Underwood's right, you can't cry pretty. Uh, And so I'm thankful that I made it through that. But I just cried in my office writing it. I was like, man, I'm glad. I was like, i got to take a break. And so, but it's the truth. That's the Gospel right there, that all that matters is that we believe in Him. I don't have to know everything about Him. I don't have to live life perfect. I don't have to do everything just right, that I just put my faith in Him and believe in Him, and He will allow us to be a part of where He is forever. We can be with Him forever. What I want to do tonight, like we do a lot, is I want everybody to just gather up and come down here to the front to pray. And as everybody comes down here to gather up, we want to make sure that we don't take this part lightly. If you're here tonight, and you've never put your faith in Jesus before, maybe you just know you need to get back right with the Lord, we would love to pray with you for that. We'd love to be able to make time for that. So if you need prayer for anything, just find Matt or talk to one of us because we would love to just talk with you through that and just pray with you and help you feel encouraged because it's so important is to put our faith in Christ. But for the rest of us, let's look at the lives of Mary and Joseph and realize that God can do great things if we look at the model that they set. Purity, innocence, obedience, have great faith. God can move through us. We have the Holy Spirit at our disposal. And God can move through us. Let's pray. God, we thank You for tonight. Thank You for everything that You've done for us, God. Pray that Your Holy Spirit be with us today. And if there's any of us here tonight who need to give our heart to the Lord God, help us to give our heart over to You. Help us to, Lord God, put our faith in You. Help us to realize that You are the one way to heaven, that there's no way around it, God, other than faith in the cross. And God, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would be with us, God. Help us to realize that we have the ability to walk in faith and we can walk in purity and innocence and obedience, God. Help us to, to, to just grow those qualities in our life, God. Help us to realize that they will create great things, that You will move in our lives, Lord, if we decide that we will walk in those precepts and walk in those ideas. God, help us to realize that the story of Christmas 
is, Lord, we're so thankful that You sent Jesus to be the gift for us and to die on the cross. We're thankful that we don't have to know everything about You, Lord. That You forgive us of our sins and You give us access to heaven. And God, we're so thankful for everything You've done. We're thankful for Your goodness and we're thankful for Your mercy. God, help us to be a church that always has the supernatural as a part of what's going on. Help us to be a church that always walks in great, big, giant faith that does things for Your kingdom, God. And we're so thankful for everything You've done for us, Lord. And we give You praise, and we give You glory, and we give You honor. And in Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.